from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying out in the wilderness of this world and life. Make every great path straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our broadcast last, last, uh, the last time we, we met, um, we looked at another coloration of the gospel, what we called, or what we term, the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is basically uh, about money and erroneously uh, gives the impression that that is what the, Lord's, uh, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is about. Now, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ seeks to deliver men from sin, sinful living, and selfishness. In fact, these things are the things that, unfortunately and inadvertently, the prosperity gospel seek to bring in. It makes people to, to fall into sin. It makes people to become selfish, self-centered, and even covetous. Also, the, 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 the requirement for the appropriation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not money. The requirement for the operation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is faith. Faith in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, and the work that he had done on the cross, and not money. Now, we looked at instances where money was spoken of as antithesis to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw, for example, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8, one of the things when the Lord Jesus sent them to go out and preach and to heal the sick and to um, uh, raise the dead and so on and so forth. He ended by saying to them, freely you have received, freely give. So it, it, was, it was emphatic in that statement to the extent that money had no, no, no role to play in the gospel. And then we also saw the case of the young rich ruler who came and asked the Lord, what, how, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? What must I do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And the Lord told the young rich ruler, he said to him, he said, go and you know, uh, do whatever the commandments have told you. And said, look, I've been doing these things since I was born. But I'm sure he perceived that something was lacking. And said, but what else is it that I lack? And the Lord, uh, you know, having loved him, told him the truth. He said, look, you need to go and sell all that you have. Go, when you've sold them, give it to the poor, uh, give those things to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the man went away sad. And the Lord Jesus made a profound statement and I'm going to read it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. He said, how hard, in 23 of Mark chapter 10, he says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, one can misconstrue that statement to mean that God hates people to have uh, money or to be rich. No. In Mark chapter 10, verse 24, the next verse after verse 23, he repeats the same thing, but puts a, 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 a finer tune to the, to the whole thing. He says, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. The truth of the matter is that wealth or riches have a way of making people put their trust in it. And so it is that when people have riches, they invariably put their trust in it. When people have money, they don't ask God for how to spend the money. They just go ahead and spend. And so you, you, you find out that their trust, their, their entire being is in that money. Indeed, I think it's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 to 19, we looked at that also, where the Bible warns those who have wealth, those who are rich, not to put their trust in their money, not to be proud, not to be haughty, not to be arrogant, but to trust in God 
and not in uncertain riches. That is how the Bible puts wealth. It calls it uncertain riches because it can come today and it can go tomorrow. There is nothing certain about it. Nothing sacrosanct about money. And so the important thing is that money is not the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is deliverance from the things that money actually creep, causes to even creep up within us. Hence, a gospel magazine is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You cannot pay for your soul. Neither can you pay for the soul of another man. It's so clear. The only way by which you can get anything out concerning your soul is to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died for sin, he paid the only price available for sin. And that is the, the shedding of his own blood. Not the blood of an, of an animal, not the blood of another man, but his own blood. And all that you need is to believe and you shall receive God's forgiveness and God's salvation. You don't need to pay money. You cannot buy spiritual gifts. They are gifts and are freely given to whosoever God wills. You can't pay for it. We saw of how uh, Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 wanted to buy spiritual gifts. And he, was, and he was told that he and his money should perish and that he had no part in the kingdom of God. Indeed, anybody who thinks that he can buy favor, the favor of God with money has no part in the kingdom of God. So we came to, the, to, to, to ask the question, what then is the purpose of money in the gospel scheme? What really is the purpose of money? We identified three principal things, I think. The first one is that the, for the person who has money, it is to enable him to do good works. God is particular about good works. And what are good works? Good works are those activities that God approves of, that God approves of, and that God expects us, you and I, to be engaged in regularly. Secondly, the purpose of money in the gospel scheme is so that we can give to the poor. We can give to those who don't have. We don't, we don't give to those who already have to curry favor. We don't give to the man of God to curry favor or to, to, to covet his prayers. No. We give it to the man of God because he is teaching us the word of God. And we have what he doesn't have. And so we give it to him as a blessing. And also we give to those in our midst who have needs. If the man of God already has enough, why do you give him more? Look for the people who are poor and give to them. That much the Lord Jesus told the rich man, the, the wrong, young rich ruler. He didn't say to him, bring the money. He said, no, go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Thirdly, it is... The, the, the essence of, the, of money in the gospel scheme is to meet the needs of other believers within our, our, our sphere. And indeed, also, people who are even not believers, people that we can help, that we can assist, that we can support. But for all of this, we don't seek for money. What we do is we seek God who will meet our needs. And whether, whether he meets our needs with money or not, that is not our business. The most important thing is that he will meet us at the point of need. Now, in our broadcast today, we want to uh, provide an answer to a very pertinent question. And that question is, is the gospel message an end in itself? Or is it a means to an end? Or is it something else? In other words, does everything about Christianity begin and end with the gospel message? Or is there something else to it? That's what we want to 
discuss in our broadcast today. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 18. Romans chapter 10 from verse 1 through to verse 18. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what these verses of scripture tell us is the matter of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts by telling us that the Jewish nation uh, did not did not attain to the righteousness of God, which is by faith, putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather, they went ahead to invent their own righteousness. They, 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 they sought God in the way they wanted. They, they believed that God would be happy with them if they did certain things, if they performed certain ordinances as contained in um, their, 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 their scriptures. They did not want to accept the righteousness or the righteous standard or the, 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 the way by which God has said he will be pleased with them if they did it. i give you an example. If, for instance, I say to you that I like um, orange juice, just orange juice in the morning for breakfast. I'm okay with that. But then you think that, look, th this fellow is a guest in my house. I can't just give him fruit juice. What would people think? And then you begin to, you know, pile on coffee, um, bread, uh, bacon, um, eggs, uh, you know, eggs toasted, uh, fried, boiled, scrambled. You know, you, you line up the, the table with, as, as it were, a a, not just a breakfast, but a breakfast. But what I told you is I just want 
uh, oranges. And then when you say to me that breakfast is set, please come to it. And I look at everything and I say to him, sorry, I just want a glass of orange juice. And then you get angry. What, you have, what has happened is that you have set a righteous standard for me on based on yourself rather than listen to what I said is what I need. This is what is happening here. And this is what the Bible is telling us here. That Israel as a nation decided on how they were going to please God. But the thing with which they wanted to please God was not what God wanted. All God desired of them is put your trust in uh, my son, Jesus Christ, whom I've already sent to you. But they did not want that. We see the same thing with many of us. There are people who are trying to please God in their own way. They, they, they believe that by going to church, for example, God will be happy with them. Some others believe that if they attend every program in church, God will be happy with them. Some others believe that if they go to a particular meeting, God will be happy with them. But God says that he is actually irritated by such attitude because he has stated clearly that what pleases him is for men to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust him absolutely for everything that um, the desire of him. Indeed, for their salvation, they should trust in him. It is the only way to be acceptable to God. And that is by putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in what he did for us. We cannot be saved from sin by giving God money, by going to church, by just reading the Bible. Our, we are saved as we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in what it is that he did for, for us on the cross at Calvary when he paid the price for sin in, in, in dying. So the second thing is how, and it's addressed in the scripture we read, how do we have faith in Jesus Christ? How do we put our trust in him? It tells us clearly. Once you have heard the gospel, the gospel comes to tell you about how sin had separated man from God and how God had brought the Lord Jesus Christ to pay for the price of sin. So that you and I, in putting our trust in him, can now have relationship, fellowship with God. Now, when you hear that message and you are convicted and convinced as to the veracity of the message that you have heard, then you must confess. So first you are convinced and convicted in your heart. And then with your mouth, you make a confession. You vocalize, you verbalize what you are convinced about. You are convinced that you are a sinner, indeed a sinner, that you have sinned against God, that indeed as a result of your sin, you cannot have relationship with God. You are convinced that to be able to have relationship with God, you need a savior, one that will deliver you from sin and bring about forgiveness of your sin. And as a result, can establish relationship between you and God. So you are convinced about those things. And so now with your mouth, you make that confession, that statement, that proclamation, that declaration to God, not to anybody. You say to God, Lord, I have heard your word. Indeed, I believe and agree with your word that I am a sinner, that I need a savior. And that Jesus Christ is that savior. No other person. Because he, you, you have said, you have shown me clearly in your word that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So I have come today to make confession of my sinfulness, that I am utterly a sinner. I am not worthy to receive anything from you, but I am trusting that as I put my, my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will save me from my sins. Once that is done, 
you are saved. That's what the Bible says. Whosoever, it didn't say whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. It didn't say whether you have to be rich or you have to be poor. It didn't say whether you have to have had Christian parents or uh, a herbalist as a, as, a, as, as, as parents. It doesn't matter who you are. Whosoever you are, if you would just confess your sins to the Almighty God and declare that you need Christ and that he is, is your Savior, you shall be saved. It's as simple as that. Now, having been saved, you are expected to live henceforth in that truth that has saved you. So that by calling on Jesus Christ every time, it shows that indeed we, 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 we are demonstrating our trust in him. We are, we are saying that he will see us through the rest of our lives, having lived our lives up to this point as we liked. Henceforth, we want to live for him. We want to live in the, in, by trusting him for everything. So what does all this mean? First of all, we have established faith in Christ is important. But that faith comes through the preaching of the word of God, which is the message of the gospel. So the essence of our preaching the gospel to you is to cause you to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to cause you to believe in our church or believe in, in me as a preacher. No, it's to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the message of the gospel. Now, if people are to be brought in to faith in Christ, the authentic gospel must be preached. I cannot preach money, for example, and you will have faith in Jesus Christ. No, your focus is going to be money. So for me to bring you to the place where you will receive uh, the, the, the message to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I must preach him. He, he must be the centerpiece of the message that I'm bringing to you. Now, after you have heard the gospel message, you now have a decision to make. It is either you accept what I have told you concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and how he has saved you from sin and that you need, all you need to do is trust him and your sins are forgiven. Or you can say to me, all you have said is bother dash and you reject it. So that it, 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 the, the truth of the matter is that the gospel message does not compel anybody to accept it. The gospel message gives you information and can follow up with instruction on what to do if you accept it. But if you reject it, there's nothing, there's nothing anybody can do. You have been given the appropriate information. What is required of you now is to use that information and do what you should to take a, the appropriate decision. But if you reject the message, then what you have done is you have refused God's offer of salvation, which is the message of the, of, of, of the gospel. And the offer of salvation is that God is there to save you from the judgment and punishment that he is going to mete out upon all sinners. The reality of, the, of, of life is this. All have sinned and they've come short of the, of the requirements of God for all mankind. So there's not one person on his own merit that can have anything uh, in, by way of relationship with God. And as a result of all having sinned, all stand condemned. But when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, his condemnation is, is, is turned around and he now has life. So when a man rejects that offer of God's uh, salvation, what he has done essentially is to reject the pardon of God and invariably accept that he is deserving of judgment and punishment that, is, that, that, that comes to all sinners. And the consequence of that is eternal separation from God in hell. 
the, which is of, obviously the final destination of all who have lived on the earth apart from God. So even if you, you attended church meetings, but you did not accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and your Savior, you will fall into the category of those who rejected God and so will have a destination in hell. My prayer is that if you are yet to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will be open and receptive to accepting him. I have always spoken to people from time to time when I meet with them. And I, I ask them, have you heard of the Lord Jesus Christ? They say, yes, we have. And I've asked them with the question, what have you done with the information you heard about him? And a lot of them are stumped. Some of them say, well, I go to church. I say, no. Have you, have you surrendered your life to him? Have you confessed that you're a sinner? And have you stopped living the life of sin? And then they get stumped at that point in time. And I say to them that obviously what you heard has not translated into the, 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 the kind of conviction that leads men into surrendering and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If on the other hand, you accept the gospel message, you are pardoned by God and all sins attributable to you are wiped off with the promise of eternal life with God when you depart this world. That is, that is, that is, I mean, that is basic. That is the essence of the gospel. So that the gospel message, when it is preached, calls for the hearer to take a decision, either to accept God's offer of salvation or reject it, or choose eternal life or eternal damnation, or also choose to live with God forever or to dwell away from God in the fire of hell forever. Hell is a place of sore torment. It's not a place that anybody should be thinking of going to. It's not even a place that anybody should be excited about. I've heard people make fun about all oh, the kind of people they will meet in hell and how they will be enjoying singing, dancing and other things. Don't let anybody fool you. It is not a pleasurable thing. I'll give you an illustration of what I'm trying to say. In many nations, you have prison houses. The people who are in those prison houses are majorly citizens of those nations. But they are considered undesirable by society because of the way they are living. And so they are locked up in a place where their liberties are limited. Human rights, no matter how much you want to cry human rights, in a prison cell, human rights become limited. I have heard that in some prisons, you need to obtain permission to even go and ease yourself. Indeed, they tell them, when you wake up in the morning, do all your toileting. Because the next time you are going to be able to do any toileting, is going to be when you are through with the day's activities, which is most likely going to be late in the evening. So the, the, you, you don't have the liberties that those who are living in open society have in the same way. If a person finds himself in hell, he's, he is drastically limited by what he can do. Indeed, is a place of punishment, like I said earlier, a place of torment. Don't, you don't want to go there. Not going there is very easy. Going there is also very easy. Not going there is simply surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, accepting him, accepting him as your Lord and Savior, and making your confessions unto God, and a willingness to live with God from here on forever. Rejecting him is also simple. All you need is a hard, stubborn heart, and say, no, I don't accept this message. And that's it. You, are, you, 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 you have rejected it. Now, but what we want to address now is, if you accept Christ... You are not only making a choice for salvation. You are also making a choice to live forever with God. 
In John chapter 3, verse 16, which is a very popular scripture, the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you are making a decision to live eternally with God. Now, the decision for Christ is also an acceptance and a desire to live in the light of Christ and not in the darkness of sin and Satan. And all that, you know, living in light carries with it until you depart this world through death. So from the moment you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you start a new life. It's a new life in light, a new life in the light of Jesus Christ, a new life that is completely different from the old life. In, in, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 16, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. It says, all, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Everything about that man has become new. His desire has become new. His, his ambitions have become new. His purpose in life is now new. So if, for example, he had a desire, for example, to be maybe um, the president of his nation, when he comes to Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ will say to him, that is not my plan for you. My plan is different. So at the end of the day, he will have to jettison that ambition to be president of his nation and seek to do what God is asking him to do. But talking about living in the light of Christ, let's look at some scriptures at this point in time. John chapter 3 from verse 17 to verse 21. John chapter 3 from 17 to 21. It's a combination of John chapter 3 verse 16. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through his son, might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When we commit sin, when we do something that is wrong, we tend to want to hide it. We don't want to expose it. And even when it has been exposed, we still come with braggadociousness to, to want to cover it up as though, look, it is nothing. Whereas it is something. So when a man is living in light, his life is open. His life is, is, is available for scrutiny. There is no secret sin in him. He is open to anything. When you say, oh, you did this, he will tell you, I didn't do it. You can go anywhere to prove it. You will discover that he didn't do it. He does not tell lies about his past. He is very truthful about the past. He said, in, in time past, I lived a very horrible life. But no more. Because now I have the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you scrutinize his, his life from the time he gave it to Christ, he is open to God. Now, let's uh, take it from verse 29. It says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So people hate the light when they are doing evil. They don't want to hear the word of God when they are doing evil. But if you are doing what is right, the word of God will be a delight to you. The word of God will be sweet to you. You will want to be there where the truth is being spoken. 
But when you are doing what is wrong, you invariably will look for a place where nobody is going to nobody is going to speak the word of God that will reveal what you have been doing in secret. Indeed, the Bible says, I think in 2 Corinthians and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, advising preachers to, to make sure that they teach the truth that is in the word of God. It says, For a time is going to come when people will not want to hear sound doctrine. They will rather, because they have itching ears, want to go everywhere and anywhere else where they can be told, the, 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 where they can be deceived. Let me put it that way. Where they can be deceived. They will prefer to go there. And they will, they will justify their going there for whatever reason. Now, in verse 21 it says, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. When you are in the light of God, when you have accepted the Lord Jesus and you are in the light of God, you are not afraid of doing of, of anything. You are open. You would not even want to do anything that will offend God. Because you know that the light of God is going to expose you anyway. In John chapter 1, verse 4. John chapter 1, verse 4. The Bible says concerning the Lord Jesus, says, in him, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, was life and the life of Jesus Christ was the light of men. When we have received Christ, we have also received his life. And that life translates into light, enlightenment, opens our eyes to truth. And it goes, in, goes on in verse 5 to say, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Darkness could not overshadow it. Darkness could not understand that light. So, for example... I had done something wrong before I, I, I got born again. Now I am born again. And in the course of receiving teachings, I am told to restitute my ways. Now, with understanding, I can go and restitute my ways. For example, let's say I picked up a job with false certificates. I will go to that office and say, please, I want to resign my, my, my office because the certificate I used was false. Why are you doing that? I, I, I have changed my life. The light of God has come into me. And now I know clearly that that, that job, that I'm, this job I'm doing, I, I used a false certificate. Please, uh, let me resign. In fact, you could even say, the, the bank would say, I'm willing to repay the salaries I earned before that time, if you are able to do that. But if you're not able to do that, you just go and resign and say, sorry, I don't want, I, 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 I'm through with that. Now, that is a sign that light has come. Darkness cannot understand that kind of attitude. Darkness cannot understand why somebody who, who is already employed with a forged certificate would now turn around when nobody has discovered it and say, I'm resigning because now I, I understand by the light of God that has shone upon my heart, by the light of Christ that is, that is revealing things to me in Scripture, that indeed what I am doing is wrong. Darkness cannot understand that. Men cannot understand that somebody would, would do such a thing. They don't expect you to do it. Yet, that is the proper thing to do. That is to show that light has indeed come into your life. In Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 8 through to 13. It says, for you were once darkness. You were not just once living in darkness. You were darkness personified. Many of the things that we did before we came to Christ is darkness. If you, have not, if you are not yet in Christ, all that you are doing is darkness. 
for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is the crucial thing. So the gospel brings you into light. But what must you do? You must now walk in that light. You just don't come into light and sit down there. You must now begin to walk as light. In verse 9, it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So you see, when we now come in, having been received by faith in Christ, which is acceptable to God, we must now seek to find out what God wants me to do henceforth that is pleasing to him, that is acceptable to him. So to that extent, the gospel is not an end in itself. And really, you will discover that the gospel is not even a means to an end. The gospel is actually the beginning of a journey. You are beginning a new life. The gospel is, is that door opener that gives you access into this new life. Let me continue to read Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 11 it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Those friends you used to have that are engaging in sinful conduct, you should not have fellowship. You should not partake with them in those things that they are doing. Instead, make it clear to them that what they are doing is wrong. They will hate you. They may even abuse you, if not stone you and do other things. But you know that you are telling them the truth and you are actually seeking to help them. In verse 12 it says, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. When you come through the gospel to Christ, you are entering into a new life. It is a life of light. It is not a life of darkness. It is a, is a life where everything that you need to live for God is thrown before you. And all those things that you did hitherto that were considered as evil before God, you must now eliminate. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 from verse 4. Or let me read it from verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, let me explain this. Because he says, if then you were risen, what he was saying before this time is that when you came to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, something happened spiritually. You died. As Christ died on the cross, you also died. And what does that mean? The sinful nature that you had died. That if the sinful nature that you had died, then it means that you now have a new nature which is the nature of Christ, the nature of God. The Bible talks about having the mind of Christ. We now have a new nature. That nature seeks to please God. That nature does not seek to offend God. That nature delights to please God. And so it says, if indeed, if it is true that in your convictions and your confessions, you have actually accepted Christ, what it means is that you, have that, you are now dead to the old nature, to the old man that loves to sin. Now you are alive to a new man that loves to please God. In verse 2 it says, set your mind, if this has happened, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So if this has happened to you, then really your focus in life must be on eternal things, on, on, on heavenly things, on the things of God, not on the things on the earth. 
Money, when you set your heart on money, it is an earthly thing. It seeks to keep you down on the earth. When we set our hearts on houses, on, on, on cars, on positions and other things, these are earthly things. They are not heavenly things. Does it mean that we will not live in a house? Does it mean that we will not drive cars if it is available for us? Of course we would. But we do not set our hearts on those things. We set our hearts on God. In Matthew chapter 6, the Bible says that why is it that we are focusing on, you know, the things that the Gentiles focus on? What to eat, what to wear, the houses to live in, and so on and so forth. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be given to you. They shall be added unto you. They shall be a blessing to you. So we don't seek things. We seek God. We seek his righteousness. We seek his kingdom. And then he gives us what we need to continue to live here on the earth without having to live in sin. We don't seek a contract that we need to pay a bribe on. We're not interested in such a contract. We are content with doing a very small job that we don't need to cheat or lie about. In verse 3, it says, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died and the new life you have now is enveloped in Christ who is in God. So really, you are supposed to be floating in Christ, as it were, if we, if we could use that expression. In verse 4, it now says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When the, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ appears at the end of the age, we will reign with him in glory. He is our life. He has, is the one who has given us life on this, because we have come to him. Now, so because you have heard the gospel and you have come to him, there are many things that you are yet to know. All you were told was how to gain access into the house. When you now enter the house, you will discover that there are many rooms, many compartments in that house, so many areas that you need to begin to explore and get into. You need to understand the kingdom that you have entered into and the new life that you have been called to live. You cannot stop at the door and say, I, I, I'm okay. No, you must now proceed into the house and begin to explore all the areas. There are areas of our lives that will be taught as we come in. We are going to discuss a little bit of that because the, 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 the Christian life, this new life, you must be taught on how to live it because you never lived it before. But let me continue with Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 now. It says, therefore, put to death, kill, your members which are on the earth. Those, those, those parts that, that, we, that brings us to sin. What are they? Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's talking of those, those desires that we have. We desire to, 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 to fornicate. We desire to be, to be adulterous. We desire homosexual relations, either lesbian or gay relations. We desire those things. When we were when we were not born again. But now that you are born again, these desires must be put to death. They must be killed. They are not to be pacified, not to be packed to one corner, only to be, to, to be reopened the next time. They must be killed. In verse 6 it says, Because of these things, the wrath of God, like I said earlier, the wrath or the punishment of God, the anger of God, is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So you cannot say you are born again, still be engaging in these things and say that you have escaped the wrath of God. No, the wrath of God is upon you. You must die to those things. So the, what, the gospel, what the gospel message does is to bring you to the door of the house. 
And once you enter into that, you begin to see that you must, you must die to this lifestyle. You must die to what you have been doing before. You must die to the way you have been dressing. You must die to the, the speech that you have been, the, 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 the way you have been talking. You must die to your mannerisms. You must die to those desires that makes you want to get what other people have. You must die to all those things. Otherwise, the wrath of God is still hanging on you. You are not yet saved. Salvation is about escaping the wrath of God. In verse 7, it says, In which you yourselves once walked. You once walked in darkness. You once walked in disobedience. You once walked in stubbornness against God. When you lived in them. Verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. What are they? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. When you came and said, I am accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord, I am a sinner, and I've been living a sinful life, and you came to the Lord Jesus, what you actually did was to say, I hate this sinful life. I hate this life of sin. No more. I want it out of, my, out of the way. And God is there to help you, but you must be willing to submit it for execution. If you do not submit it for execution, it remains there. And many of us continue to, you know, uh, what was the word I'm looking for now? We continue to allow these things to stay in the background as long as people don't see it. We believe that it is okay. No, you must take it to God at the foot of the cross of Jesus and let it be crucified there. We cannot be telling lies and say we are Christians. We cannot be making filthy statements from our lips and say we are Christians. And say, well, you know, the fact that I'm a Christian does not mean that I should not express myself as I want to express myself. No! The Bible actually tells us if we are Christians to be sober, to be sober-minded. That should be sobriety, even in our dressing. So if indeed you have, you have been born again, you just enter the doorway. There are many, so many things that you still need to learn. So the gospel is not an end in itself. Neither is it a means to an end. It is actually a journey. And what, what that journey brings you to, the beginning of it is when you get to the door. When you say, indeed I'm a sinner and I want Jesus to come into my life. You are now ushered into the house. And you must now begin to explore all the rooms. The rooms that of putting off what should, not be, put off, what should be put off. And putting on a new gap. Let's continue in verse, um, verse 10 now. It says, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. This is now the new nature that you must have. You must be humble. No more pride, no more arrogance. No more haughtiness. No more telling people, do you know who I am? You are nobody. Be humble. Be meek. Don't be forceful. We no, we no longer seek to get things by force anymore. We wait on God to bring things to us as he, he will tell. Sometimes God will say to you, go and get it. Then you go and get it. But there's also a way to get it without being offensive. In verse 12, it says, uh, verse 13, now it says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. You cannot say you are born again and you are holding people in unforgiveness. Please. I mean, that, I mean, that, 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 that's not even allowed. How can God forgive you all your sins and you find it difficult to forgive people a minor transgression? 
compared to the sin that you have against God, whatever others have done to you is a minor transgression. So you cannot have benefited so much from such a great grace that has saved you, and yet you find it difficult to forgive others. It says, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We, you see, when we come into this new life, we come to realize one thing. The word of God is not a suggestion. It is an instruction. It is a command. We don't argue with it. We don't debate it. All we want to know is, Lord, how do I go about doing this? In verse 14 of Colossians chapter 3, still reading it, it says, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The love we're talking about here is not erotic love, is not romantic love, is not even filial love. Is is what is what the Bible calls the agape love of God. It is a love that you show to people who are undeserving, just as God showed you love when you were undeserving of it. It is a love that is dependent on the nature of the fellow who is showing that love rather than on the deservedness of the person who is going to receive that love. So you are to put on the nature to give out love to people, whether they deserve it or not. And quite frankly, people don't deserve that love. But God says you should give it anyway. And so we do. We didn't deserve the love of God, but God gave it anyway. In verse 15, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. At first, we were enemies of God. We always dreaded when we die. That's why people who are not with God, who don't, who don't know God, they are afraid to die. They are afraid because they, they, don't, they, they don't even know where they are going to end up. So they are afraid to die. But now that you have been born again, the peace of God comes. So you begin to see the things that salvation brings to you. But first you must accept it. And then you now begin to, you now begin through teachings to see the, 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 the massive wealth of what God has in store with you. I use the word wealth as in the abundance of things, not as in money. In verse 16, which is the last verse, it says, which is the last verse we'll be reading, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We will get to the place where we are being taught the word of God and where we, we allow the word to sink in. In 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, 1 John chapter 1 from verse 5 to 10. From verse 5, let me just from verse 5. It says, 1 John chapter 1 from verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of, sorry, First John, sorry, I was reading Jude. First John chapter 1, from verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's exactly what I've been saying. You cannot say that you are in the light and you are engaging in, that, in, in things of darkness. In verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, 
and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what, what the Bible is saying here that if indeed you have entered into light as Christ is light, you cannot be engaging in any work of darkness. All the scriptures we read, beginning at John chapter 3 from verse 17 till the one we just read now, they speak of going beyond accepting the Lord Jesus Christ and God's offer of salvation. It's speaking of living henceforth in a manner that is acceptable to God. So that there is more to salvation than a mere assent to God's offer of salvation. There is more to, to being saved than just saying, well, thank you, Lord, I accept your salvation, and then that's the end. No, you cannot, you, you cannot just say, because I, I've received, I, I've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then I'm, I'm through. Everything is okay. No, there is more to that than just that mere accent that you gave. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse um, 40. Let me read from verse 40 through to verse 42. And with many other words, he, that is Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Peter was preaching the gospel to these people and was telling them, Run away from this generation. This generation is going to take you to hell. Flee from this generation. Run to God. In verse 41, the Bible says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Even though they had received the gospel, certain things needed to be done. First of all, they were baptized. That's what we call water baptism today. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a mark of identification that they are now children of God, no longer of the world. They are now of God. They are now of the kingdom of God. So after they heard the gospel, they were baptized. They were brought in to the church. Now, we're, we're trying to relate the gospel message and the church now. They were brought into the church. And when they were brought into the church, these people, the Bible says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or the teachings by the apostles or by the church leaders. The people must be taught the word of God. They must be taught about the new life. They must be taught many things. I always counsel people when I've shared the word of God with them and they say they want the Lord to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. I always counsel with them. I say, go and read First Peter. Read chapter 1 and chapter 2. Just focus on those two chapters. I would have suggested that to them to read Romans chapter, uh, the, the, the whole book of Romans. But Romans can be a very complicated book. It needs serious teachings to be able to understand it. However, if somebody had a simpler translation like the Living Bible or the Good News Bible, then you can go and read the book of Romans and you will begin to see how salvation came to you and the things that you must live out of your life and the new life that you must enter into. And understand this, that when you enter into Christ, everything that you need to live that life is actually provided by God. God is not asking you to come into a new life and then go and begin to search for how to do it. No, he gives everything to you. Let me just read a, a portion of scripture to you before uh, I, I, I round up this. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read uh, from verse 1 
through to verse 4. Simon Peter, a born servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. The divine power of God has given us everything that we need to live this life, to live a life of godliness, to live this new life through our knowledge of him by the teachings that we receive from the word of God. We are able to grow and know Christ more and more. We know him now, not just as Savior alone, but now as Lord. We know more and more about what it was that he did for us. We, the gospel message does not end with it, 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 what you hear that brought you in was just what you needed to hear so that you can at least access the kingdom. Now that you have accessed the kingdom, you are now going to hear so many more of what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross at Calvary for you. Part of which is all that you need to live a life of godliness. In verse 4, he says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The one of the things that God expects of us is that we will be partakers with him of his nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We are also going to be removed from that lustful life so that we can live for God henceforth. So the point we're trying to make is that the gospel message is not an end in itself. Neither is it a means to an end. Indeed, it is the beginning of a new life that will culminate in heaven for which we need further instruction. Hence, the teachings. The bottom line is this. You probably heard the gospel in a church meeting or in a crusade. But some people heard the gospel meeting, heard the gospel message on the road. Somebody, somebody spoke to them. And after hearing the gospel message and you surrendered your life to Christ, it didn't end there. You became a part of the body of Christ. So you must find a church, the church of the living God that is, to be a part of. And I tell you the truth, even though you are just starting afresh, the spirit of God will guide you and lead you to the place where you should be taught the word of God. You will hear the truth about the word of God. Don't find yourself in a place where all they talk about is money. All they talk about is how to become great. Because that is not the gospel. The gospel is about living for God. Henceforth. Let me, let me, let me show you another scripture. And uh, uh, by the grace of God, we'll just call it quits. That. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading verse 15. So Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, And he died, that is, Jesus Christ died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So now that you are saved, you are now from today forward, begin to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you going to accomplish that? Go to a place where you are going to be taught the word of God. Every Bible teaching church, should open you to the truth. And remember, the focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus cannot be money. The focus cannot be house, car. No. The focus is the Lord Jesus Christ and the new life that he has given to you. 
And until we meet two weeks from now when we when we have another meeting, I think that should be on the um, 17th of October, I plead with you, make the Lord Jesus Christ your focus. Seek him. Go after him. Find a church. Ask the Lord to show you, to take you to a church where you will hear teachings about this new life that you have entered into that will help you to live for him from here forward. God bless you and goodbye.